the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning. It is 9064 above. We make our way to a daytime high of 11. In the studio with me, the mayor of Grand Forks, he, Mr. Brandon Bochensky. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me. Nice to be uh, back here in person. So good right? to see you today. All right. So, Brandon, I want to get right into it. Um, obviously, really exciting news for the city of Grand Forks, a company looking to build a $400 million soybean crushing plant. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's really exciting. Something that came up uh, probably back in June was the, the first uh, contact that they had with the EDC. Um, but, you know, long story short, uh, they're seeing this uh, uh, this magnet agribusiness here in, in Grand Forks. And, you know, some of these projects are, are ones that the city was losing in past years, whether it's mm. DigiKey, Marvin Windows, uh, FedEx, Amazon. These are the ones that were going to, uh, to nearby cities now. Uh, uh, with our business climate, uh, we're starting to win some back. So pretty exciting. So this is interesting because this is this is essentially kind of you, in some ways, delivering on a campaign promise. You wanted the, this was your goal for Grand Forks was to bring more businesses in, and you're doing that. Um, can you talk a little bit about why this crushing plant left uh, Crookston? They were originally going to build in Crookston. They were originally going to build in Minnesota. Made a choice to come over to the North Dakota side. Why'd they do that? Uh, their, their stance, I mean, they've been trying to get this done in Minnesota for quite some time, but the, the regulation that you get coming out of St. Paul, we saw this during COVID, everything's so centralized in the state of Minnesota that that trying to get anything done permitting wise, um, you know, they had all the, uh, all the consultants in place, they had everything ready to go, but they were just waiting months and months and months to get their permitting done. Mm. Um, and it just became cumbersome. You you start to invest money and as you, you know, you can't get to to market and get your, your construction done and years go on. Um, you look at a state like North Dakota and in a city like Grand Forks that's going to work hard to, to make business happen. And uh, I think they, they said it's just it's just time to, to have a fresh start. And I think the good news is, uh, at least for the farmers, a, a lot of them, um, you know, if you're, you're west of Crookston or you're, you know, sort of in that immediate area, you're still going to have a, a much closer place to deliver your crop to. So it's uh, uh, on some footing, uh, I think it's uh, it's still going to be beneficial to that area. But uh, it's uh, uh, they did meet with Crookston as well, and I think that went well. They kind of understood it. I think they've got one hand tied behind their back in Minnesota. Mm. Is really, what it comes down to. But on the business side, yeah, you look at at these types of projects, and when and business comes, and uh, you know the farmers, if they're doing uh, doing better and not having to spend so much on transportation costs, they're able to purchase more equipment uh, from vendors in town. More of that money uh, flows through town. It just uh, it builds, and I think it creates wealth in, in the region, and, and I think that's uh, that's good for the local community. So this is a. U.S.-based companies based out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and they're an energy company. And they take soybeans, they turn it into oil to be used for energy and or food? Yeah, they. so there's two different, uh, obviously, when you use gray water, you have to go through a, another filtration process in order to use it for a food additive. Um, they generally would sell it in more of the crude form. So yeah, biodiesels, but it can also be used for food products. So you get that piece, um, sort of the energy side, but then there's this, this soy meal, this uh, mash that you can use for livestock feeds. So there's two main... Uh, products, but there's uh, certainly more that they can, you know, add on. But those are kind of the two main ones with the the hog farms up in uh, up in Canada and around here. Uh, that's one great piece. And then adding to the biodiesel industry, this, like they said, uh, 
I think it was Minnesota, other places, but you're, you know, roughly 20% of your diesel is starting to get some of this and that, that those numbers could go up as they start to refine it. But yeah, so both sides really, you know, animal feed, uh, food products and the energy side. Your calls, your thoughts to the mayor are welcome at 775-5559. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com. So they go to Crookston, Minnesota. They try to build inside of Minnesota because they're a Minnesota-based company. They wait for a year and a half trying to get all of this stuff done. They can't. They come over to you, you said, in June? Uh, June was the first time they were looking because they just were having more issues with Minnesota. Um, you know, I didn't have contact with them probably up until maybe a month ago. Uh, so they'd worked with the EDC before then, and they, you know, they've been watching some of the other things play out in town here, and they, they just like the fact that, that we've, we're very process-driven, that we sort of set a, a path to go forward and that they, they felt confident in that. They, they liked what they were seeing. You know, they saw that some controversy, but they also saw that there was a willingness to go through a process. So, uh, regardless of what happens with the corn plant, I think it was it was uh, um, you know this is something that came out of that just by the way the city has handled it. So I thought that was uh, pretty good to see. But so I mean to compare though, you know you've got there and and so far as I understand it, it wasn't like it was a year and a half and then they just got the approval and then they left. They were still waiting at a year and a half. So well, in a year and a half was just that was just one that was just the air permit and it was um, you know kind of a perfunctory deal. They were in line with all the other. It was there's other crush plants in this uh-huh. that had the same exact design. They were just waiting. But they were four years in. That that was just the last leg of it. Was wow. the last sixteen months, and they still hadn't gotten it. Um, that crush plant down in Castle. I'm sure they were watching that one closely because that's another similar design that Fagan also was doing that one. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, I think it was uh, six six to seven months to get the the air permitting done. Uh, just the bureaucracy and the red tape. Just it moves a lot quicker in the state of North Dakota. Uh, I think we still get things done the right way, but uh, you just have a, an eye for business rather than trying to stop business. You're trying to find a way to move it forward. So, so they come over here, they work with, uh, I think you said the EDC for six months and now they're, they're, they're ready to start announcing and making some plans beginning of next year. My understanding is they want to open by, is it 2025? Yeah, I think they would like to get some early in construction done, uh, um, this summer. Uh, yeah, the first thing they did, you know, they were looking for a site that had rail access, had interstate access, um, yeah. um you know, close to wastewater. Uh, that's another big piece of it is it, it's going to use city wastewater, gray water. So you're able to, instead of a product that you just treat and you send to the river, now you can, you can sell it and then they send it back to you. So not only do you sell it to them, but then you retreat it and you charge them again. So, um, it's kind of the best of both worlds on that front. And when you deliver water to them, now you've just basically put two pipes in the ground. So one that brings the wastewater there, mm. uh, that's gray. And then, um, yeah, you know, after it's been treated and then they send it back to you, um, you know, dirty again, essentially, which they could be getting that water back again, yeah. you know, essentially, but it's all mixed together. So wh- what does that look like from the city's commitment in the way of annexation? I mean, the, if the city is going to provide services, they would have to then bring that area into the city. Yeah. Is and this is right saying? adjacent. So we, the, the city already stretches out to just the Southern edge of this property. So okay. that, where the landfill is now. So um, yeah, I mean that a lot of the engineering needs to be, uh, uh looked at, uh, you know, the company, uh, chose a location we got to see how it's going to serve, how it's sure. served and then see what the cost is. Obviously they're going to have a, a big chunk of that. There's going to be some road improvements. So we'll have to, uh, work with the County and, and look at some of those road improvements and see what those cost shares can be as well. But, uh, yeah, pretty exciting. That is, that's very cool. So their, their CEO is Dennis Egan. Uh, he, this, he used to be a mayor. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting, uh, uh, um, sort of, uh, uh, story. He was the former mayor of Red Wing, Minnesota. Um, he'd been on the Chamber of Commerce there. So uh, certainly experience on both sides of business development, whether it's from the private sector or the public sector. But uh, I think he gets, he understands uh, the process. He understands mm. the difficulties. Um, so I think he's a pretty well-rounded leader. And I think, yeah. that, you know, seeing him uh, come forward, he's doing a lot of things the right way. 
It's just, it's interesting to me. You have somebody, a neighbor immediately to the east and somebody who, like you say, has, has worked on the other side of the line, so to speak. So he knows what's going to be expected from city. He's going to be intimately familiar with what it looks like to have people come to a city council and what their concerns are going to be. He's going to be able to anticipate that a little bit and he's going to be able to structure the way that they come into the community to fit with the needs of Grand Forks. In fact, city council meeting last night, he made mention of that, saying it was really important to him that he did what was right for Grand Forks, not just what's right for uh, his company. Is it epitome? Yeah. I mean, they've been uh, you know really earnest on that. We had dinner afterwards and he, you know, he was already asking, you know, what, what are some, some areas that we could give back to the community as this gets rolling? We, you know, we, we expect to be here for a long time. So we want to you know start spreading, spreading out our success in the community. Our success is your success. And, not just uh, you know um, increasing the value for farmers, not you know adding the property tax rolls, but uh, just being a good corporate member of the of the community. Yeah, again, seven seven five fifty five fifty nine number. You can join the program. You can call or text the same number. Email us live at kanoxradio.com. The mayor would love to take your questions. So, what does this going to look like in the way of jobs for Grand Forks? They're going to come here. They're going to build this. Obviously, there'll be some short term jobs in the way of construction and getting everything up to, up and running. Once it's done. What is that going to look like? Yeah, well, they're engineers, so I mean, they're they're going to try to hire local contractors as much as possible. Their engineer, uh, you know, their their main uh, general contractor is is uh, a large outfit that's going to bring some people into with the expertise. So there'll sure. be a combination of that, which will be good for you know hotels um, and other short term places. But uh, it's you know it's a it's a smaller amount of jobs, about fifty to sixty jobs, uh, about a four hundred million dollar project. So when you see that on the tax rolls, you know you can it's like adding a thousand four hundred thousand dollar houses. Uh, uh, in one fell swoop, which uh, definitely benefits the, the residents. Uh, I've always pushed more industrial, and more commercial, because that that helps offset residents' costs. And can we've all got our tax bills recently, and they're yeah. they're you know they're going through the roof. We're doing what we can at the city, and you're seeing uh, you know large increases at the county, at the, at the school board, and uh, we're trying to counter that as best as we can. Um, but there, you know, it's going to be a nationwide search. These are high paying jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I think their average is, is close to six, right around six figures. So these are wow. jobs you can you know you can take. You can raise a family. Um, you know, they expect, uh, you know, they, they kind of hinted out they'll, they'll, they'll probably try to, you know, poach some talent from other, um, you know, soybean crush plants that are, whether they're in Minnesota or other, other states to help get some of that expertise early on. So those mm-hmm. will be even higher paying jobs. Um, but they're, you know, they're certainly willing to train people. So should be opportunity for wage growth in the community, but also uh, a chance to maybe get some, uh, some more people moving to Grand Forks and, and loving it just as much as we do. Why is this advantageous for the farming community? Why, why, why do they care where their soybeans go? Well, right now the, they're paying uh, um, shipping costs. Right now, they're, uh, the majority of the shipping, uh, more majority of the soybeans in the state are shipped to the West Coast, and then they're going to places like China and, and other places that, that need food. Um, so this, rather than paying all that cost, you're delivering it with one truck right here. So you're, um, they did a study somewhere between twenty to twenty-five cents a bushel. So forty-two uh, million bushels. You know, you can do the math somewhere to eight to ten million extra dollars every year to, to local wow. farmers and. Uh, you know, you can turn around and upgrade equipment, uh, you know, make more investments. So it, it, it should all all add to, to more positive uh, economic growth in the city. I think their their numbers, they had a study out of the University of Minnesota that had about a $300 million per year um, economic impact by the time you all the ancillary types of businesses come into the community. So uh, real numbers, big numbers. And the job, you know, the jobs at 50 to 60, they, you know, these are private sector. They have to look at, you know, where can we find workforce? And uh-huh. as tough as it's been, Around here, it's it's been equally as tough in, in other places of the country. So you're going to invest $400 million. You're confident you're going to find the workforce or you're not going to invest that. Do you worry about that as the mayor, that you have these companies that are coming in to, 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 to fill 50 or 60 jobs? Um, and at the same time, you have a lot of help wanted signs out around the city. 
I think you're always worrying about that. But if, if you're not going to have business growth, you're, you're not really having growth to your tax rolls. You're not having opportunity to, to build a town that's, that's got more quality of life features that can draw. It's kind of the cart before the horse. You have, you need a place that has high wages and, and good features. So people will move there, but how are you going to pay for some of those things? So, um, they got to kind of happen at, at the same time and it's workforce will be a challenge, but, uh, the, you know, the private sector, uh, is working hard to figure it out and, and the city does the, you know, the best we can, uh, you know, nudge here or there and make it easier, but really mm-hmm. those are private sector decisions and, um, they see workforce issues everywhere. They don't see us uh, being different than anywhere else. And, uh, they still got to move forward. Could you compare and contrast the size of this, uh, corn or excuse me, this soybean crushing plant with the Fufang corn milling plant, like as far as size goes, as far as jobs go, as far as economic, economic impact, what are, could you compare? Well, it's probably roughly half, you know, half the size, okay. um, the soybeans, uh, they're taking more soybeans, but it's just the, you know, the way the process works, you, you know, sure. you got a lot, a little bit more waste in that. And that's not, you know, we'll be learning more about that. So 42 million bushels versus 25 million bushels of corn, um, uh, um, originally. So $700 million versus 400 million, you know, the economic impacts, you know, Mm-hmm. Probably a little bit more than half, but the jobs, there's a little bit more labor intensive on the, on the corn mill. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of the balance of it. Yeah. Okay. And to be clear, this is not a replacement for Fufeng. That's still up in the air at this, at, at the time. This is in addition to, so whether or not Fufeng happens, this is, this could go forward. Well, I think the great thing is, yeah, if, if the, if the corn plant doesn't go forward, you got another project that, that really, uh, you know, came out of, out of it in, in some sense. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't go forward, then you've got another project that's great and that will continue to propel the, the community forward. So um, it's, you know, it's not, I wouldn't consider it a replacement, but you, you know, you still got to do the process on the other one, but I think it's a, a great ad for sure. Very good. Well, congratulations. This is really cool news for Grand Forks. Yeah, I think so. Pretty exciting. All right. We got, we got calls. We got text messages. We'll get to them after the break. This is Critical Thought on News Radio 1310 KNOX. News Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3FM. Welcome back. It is 924, 3 above. In the studio with me, Mayor of Grand Forks, Brandon Bochensky. Your calls, your thoughts are welcome at 775-5559. Text message writes to 775-5559 and says, Anything new on the property that Sanford bought? Uh, nothing, uh, nothing has really progressed. You know, they, they had announced they'd, they'd got hospital plans. They just, the size and, and they hadn't, and the scope they hadn't really set on yet. And they've had financial troubles. I think you're, you're seeing, uh, uh, issues in healthcare across the nation. There's not very many, uh, um, hospitals and healthcare systems that are profitable right now with inflation, you know, inflation going up so much and the, the, the reimbursement's not catching up. It's, you're really squeezed. So that that's interesting and just to kind of tie two things together here so can you talk a little bit about you've got the state mill with wheat you've got simplot doing potatoes you've got american crystal sugar doing sugar beets what are we missing that we produce here in north dakota that we're still relying on someone else to help us with well i think that's obviously the, the big piece with with uh, soybeans and with corn and i think as you get those five crops are the major crops that were grown here and now we're going to take you know as the maximum amount of value that we can uh, before it leaves the state and mm. be able to use energy from within the state from natural gas um and even even looking at healthcare and other places that are that are you know probably looking at a recession and we've there's been obviously a lot of talk of a worldwide recession with the uh, the issues with the, the covid with with lockdowns um with inflation 
Um, and really, uh, you know, the, the world still needs to eat this, you know, having, having this, uh, you know, value added egg and, and this, uh, um, just magnet here in this region. Uh, I really think it, it, it recession proofs us to some extent, which is, yeah. which is good. Cause the, you know, the money's still going to be flowing in this area, which is going to flow to businesses. Um, and we are in the Red River Valley. Uh, Agriculture has pushed this area um, since uh, the, the late 1800s, and it's going to continue. Other businesses will come and go, but uh, agriculture is here to stay. I love that. 775-5559, you're on Cano X with American Morning. Yeah, is that me? That's you. Yeah, uh, Brandon, is Is this going to be another thing now? We're going to have people coming out of the woodwork about how terrible this is. There'll be something, just like Fufang, and I was a big proponent of Fufang, and now are people going to, you know, something that's too good, we can't have anything that's too good, and, uh, you know, I, I guess, do you see anything happening with this organization that's going to be negative, because you know the soothsayers are going to be coming out of the woodwork that this is just a terrible deal, that you know, the land that they're developing and what they're going to do and everything else. Do you see any of that with this project? I think you're always going to have some of that. I think the the main thing that is going to probably come is it's right north of the landfill. There is uh, roughly 40 residential houses out there. It's it's in the kind of the corner of, of Faulkner Township. This project would be in Riot Township out there. Um, but it, you know, they've, the property that they, they purchased, they're, they're pushing it as far south as possible to avoid any conflict with those homes. Um, but it's still, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's within a distance from there that, that probably, you know, people wouldn't like to see it. So there, I think you're going to have, uh, some people that are, you know, keeping a close eye on it from that, that neighborhood. Uh, I think the location is good. I think that, uh, there's never going to be a perfect location, but location's always a, a major factor. So that's something to watch. Um, outside of that, you know, uh, I think the companies tr- try and do the best they can to do everything uh, everything the right way. Um, these are hard projects to get done. Um, it takes a lot of work um, from their side. It takes a partnership, um, and you, you know you, you, there's going to be detractors. I, I, I think for sure, but uh, you just have to try to set up a process that's that's good and, and keep pushing forward. Does that help? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the call. 775-5559. That is the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at KinoXRadio.com. Text message is asking, I tuned in late. What's the new deal in Grand Forks? So quick summation is that a soybean crushing uh, facility is looking at, or signed a letter of intent, I guess is the best way to say it, to come to Grand Forks, uh, bringing 50 to 60 jobs. And what did you say the total revenue was? It's a four hundred million dollar plant. They they went with uh, um, they had the University of Minnesota do a study of economic impact, about three hundred million dollar economic impact into the region. Um, that obviously includes farm work, the you know ancillary work, uh, the increased uh, uh, basis on the on the soybeans, but uh, producing products that uh, will go into biodiesel and then also uh, a mash for uh, um, animal feed, largely hog feed, and then there's other products that they can. Um, can can also do out of this as the market uh, demands. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX with the mayor. Good morning. Morning. Hey. Uh, uh, good morning, Noah and uh, Mayor Bachensky. Morning. Um, I uh, I guess I'm calling really more so uh, in, in in response to your previous caller. Uh, I'm sure Mayor Bachensky probably recognizes my voice at this point, but. Uh, <laughs> 
those of us who are part of that anti fung you know, anti food fun group, those of us who are there at the meeting, we talk to the, the owner of that business. And we've done research. We don't have a problem with that guy and his his business. And one of the big things is is yes, there have been arguments about the environmental stuff, there's been environment you know, arguments about the uh, uh, proximity to, you know, residential areas, how's that going to affect things, but a, a general consensus amongst people who have been anti-Fu-Fung is that we're glad to see an American company coming in and hopefully bringing growth to the city. We're not anti-growth. None of us are anti-growth. It's about the right kind of growth and doing business with the right people that is not going to really endanger our resource security and and national security and things like that, environmental security stuff. That's what it's about. So, so far as you so, understand it today, is is uh, is Epitome Energy? Does that meet all those boxes for you? Yeah, it does. There's a couple of people who have been like, well, that's going to be kind of close out to where I am, so I worry about, you know, emissions from the, the plant, sure. which is a reasonable thing to have a problem with. You know, who who wants to wake up and have horrible smells every day? Right. I mean, good God, I feel for the people who live next to a paper mill, you know, um, that kind of thing. So the uh, the general consensus is, is, you know what, this is a lot better choice. And why weren't you guys doing something more like this than with FUFA? There's a lot of things that I, you know what, honestly, I think you, the city probably got a little bit of wool pulled over their eyes with things. But that's par for the course when it comes to big business with China and connections to CCP. Do some reading. And I'm not talking tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist reading. I'm talking reading the books out there that are actually written by analysts written by people who have worked in the government, you know, people who have been cultural studies, you know, done cultural studies on, on the history of China and where they're I, at today, I, and, and you'll see that. I appreciate so. the call. I've got to get over to the newsroom. Yep. Mayor, I'm going to ask you to hold on to your response until after the news, and then I'll get your thoughts on maybe why this wasn't looked at. Uh, can't, Doug Barrett out of the KNOX Newsroom. That's next. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM. So I want to go back to where we left off in the break. Um, I guess, Caller, are you still there with us? Actually, yeah, I am. Oh, sweet. Okay. All right. So um, I I think the question is, as I remember it, is just do you think that the city got the wool pulled over their eyes? Well, I think in a general sense, I mean, Mr. Patrick, I mean, we all are in that we'd rather have American companies uh, versus foreign companies to begin with. I think we we all would, would rather have that. You have to deal with what's on the table at that time. Um, I think the city uh, has set forth a, a more than a year-long due diligence process that's still ongoing. I don't think there's been a company in the history of Grand Forks, the state, or probably the nation that's had more scrutiny than, than this company has. Um, I know uh, Mr. Patrick ties it to the, the Chinese government. I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, the, the the main shareholder was uh, a member of that party. I mean, they have one party in China. He was a member of that party. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's your only tie... 
Um, you know, you've got Cirrus Aircraft here, which the entire company is owned by the Chinese government. Mm. So um, that certainly, to me, would be a larger concern and have far more control than this would be. But we're all looking forward to that deep dive that the, the CFIUS review is going to do. Um, and, and right now, there really hasn't been much tied to the company itself. It's been, um, you know, a generalization over China. And there's there is concerns about that. I think we're all seeing that play out and trying to figure out where the balance is. It's the second, uh, you know, wow. largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's 1.3 billion people there. And the U.S., our, our, our government has so overspent that we've loaned them a trillion dollars and we pay them $30 billion a year in interest payments, which accounts to more than $70 million a day that we pay them. So um, there's certainly some hypocrisy at many, many levels. And we're all trying to figure out what the best uh, path forward is. So does that answer your question? We're right here, here. It, it, well, <laughs> my. I, I didn't I didn't have a question, but since we're we're talking on things, you know, when I say that the the city and you know the EDC and then the you know I guess the state, you know, having the wool pulled over their eyes, you know, when you when you take a look at the breakdown of investors, right, and you look at the fact that okay, um, it's, I think it's something like thirty eight or thirty nine percent is owned by uh, Mr. Lee. The CEO, we'll call him Mr. Lee the Older. Mm-hmm. All right. There's another smaller percentage that's owned by Mr. Lee the Younger, who is either uh, a, a child or a relative, uh-huh. cousin, nephew, etc. Then you have 15% owned by a Belgian company. Right. Now then, one of the things that has been preached since the start of this is that, and, and it died down a little bit, right? But one of the things that has, has been consistently repeated to some level is that it's, it's an American-owned company. Now, when you look at the breakdown of American companies that actually have some sort of ownership in Fufeng Group, Fufeng USA, right, you're looking at a, a total of, of 2%, okay? Now then, of that 2%, you have a company like BlackRock, all right? Now then, BlackRock already has a whole host of issues going on with it, and people are disappointed with BlackRock for a number of things. But when you want to talk about China and with it getting its foot in the door, you know, BlackRock started all of its stuff in China with 111,000 Chinese investors. And companies like BlackRock and some of the other ones say, well, we don't actually own the company. The investors do who own the shares. All right? So... That kind of skews the numbers even more when you look at the, the, the volume of investors going into BlackRock coming out of that area. All right? It's a misnomer to say that it's a, a, an American-owned company. When you're looking at 2% or less, essentially, when you really dig into it, it's very difficult to say that this is a, a, an American-owned company. You're... you're Ward 3, my representative for Ward 3, when I went to his, uh, you know, combined ward meeting with uh, uh, Trisha Lunsky, you know, Weber sat there and tried to say the same thing. Oh, it's an American company, and we yeah. do this I, I, so, I appreciate it. I can see where you're coming from. If, if, if you know, because there's an American side of Fufeng doesn't necessarily mean they're American-owned. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. 775-55. Can, yeah, can I just comment? I think, yeah, I, mean, I don't think we've tried to say that it's, an, I think you're saying there is American ownership. I mean, you've got Morgan Stanley, BlackRock, certainly, I mean, I would agree with some of the things he says about BlackRock, but mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan Stanley owns shares, Bank of Mellon owns shares, Vanguard owns shares. Um, 
the number I got, you know, off the Wall Street Journal is is, is roughly three percent or, or slightly above. Um, at a five billion dollar company, that's a hundred and fifty million dollar investment in there. You've got mm-hmm. the European firm Treetop, which is about eighteen percent. Um, again, that's about a billion dollar investment. So these are serious investors that have put serious money into this into this company. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think um, anyone said that that's it's Amer. I don't think they meant it in that way. But there is American ownership. I mean, this is held by a lot of people's four hundred one ks and other investments. When you're right. talking Morgan Stanley and Vanguard, so. I don't think I think he's he's correct on that front. I don't you know saying this is an American-owned company. I don't think is exactly correct. We're not saying it's an, it's it's based out of America. Granted, right. the subsidiary has its its office here. Um, I don't think, but that's, just because they couldn't do business any other way. I mean, you have to have an American entity if you're going to employ Americans and sell things in America. And, right. I mean, it's it just like if the U.S. any U.S. company does business in Canada or any yeah. other country, you're going to have a subsidiary in that country that's going to have to you know follow their rules and be under their system. Sure. I mean, that's, that's to be expected. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, Mr. Patrick, we've had good conversations. I think he, he makes good points and mm-hmm. he's, he's made the process, uh, process better. So I, I appreciate his input. Seven, seven, five, 55, 59. You're on KNOX with the mayor. Good morning. Make one quick comment here before I get to my main point. Um, <clears throat> all I hear is a lot of bogus excuses for reasons to do business with the communist Chinese. And I think it's a lot of BS, but anyway, the, the main thing I'm calling for, you know, nobody's, nobody's got the fortitude to just stand up and say, you know what, this is wrong. It's, it's, you know, it's not a good idea for Grand Forks. It's not a good idea for America. Um, there's been a lot of negative publicity, even on national news, Fox news, other places, Can you imagine the positive news that would come out of you, Mr. Mayor, getting together with the city council and saying, you know what, this is not good for America. It's not good for Grand Forks, North Dakota. It's not good for our defense department, anything else. And you stood up before this report came out from CS or whoever they are. And you just canceled this thing. Now you've got another big agricultural U.S. owned coming to town. Thank God. I praise you for that. Get American companies here. Put the kibosh on communist China. But if you were to come out and say, get ahead of the game and say, you know what? We're dumping this idea. Fan is not good for anybody here except the communist Chinese and maybe a few investors. The amount of positive publicity you would get nationwide all over the place would probably gain you more money, more possible businesses wanting to come in to a place like Grand Forks than this, doing a deal with the devil just for some money. I mean, in my opinion, it's absolutely stupid. It's wrong. And there are thousands of people who feel this way, but I just thought, you know, (laughs) Doing the right thing is never the wrong thing to do. I appreciate well, if you yeah. could only If you could only imagine the positive publicity Grand Forks, North Dakota would get. Yep. You've said that. Thank you very much for the call. Well, Your thoughts, Mayor? No, I appreciate his comments. I appreciate his opinion. I've always been a very patient and practical person willing to wait for all the facts to come forward before making a, a final determination. I don't see why you would make a decision before getting that response back from the, the committee that does this for a living. Um, and, and personally... Or not personally, but uh, uh, for the city and protecting the city itself, uh, you can't. There's no grounds right now to tell you, sorry, we don't want your company, we don't like your your people, we don't want you to come here. But you, you don't have a legal grounds to do that. And within the development agreement, if the CFIUS com- uh, uh, committee comes forward and says 
oh, this project can't come forward. Then you have the legal grounds to stop something from happening. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're saying, hi, we're going to refuse to s- supply you with um, stormwater or st- uh, with wastewater and water. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to refuse that because we don't like you. I mean, you don't have a legal grounds to do that. This is the United States. We've got an open economy. We've got uh, open markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we need to continue to operate um, as Americans in, in a free market. So I'm going to wait till all the facts are go forward and, and be packed, practical, be prudent, um, be patient. I think there's a place left for that in this country. I know um, right now we all want to react to things instantly. I know social media drives a lot of hate and a lot of anger and wants these people to stand up and you know, thrust themselves out there and, and be the most hateful person. But I'm going to take the time to see the facts in the whole thing. And at the end of the day, we got to let that drive decisions that happen. I mean, I, I don't see that's how I operate, and I'm not going to change that. Text messenger has this to say, facts versus feelings. The fact is that Fu Fang Project is growth for Grand Forks and agriculture and the economy. Feeling is to say that China is bad. 775-5559, you're on KNOX with American Morning. Uh, China being bad is not a feeling. That's a fact. Anytime you want me on for an hour, I'll be happy to prove it. The Chinese government is bad. I think we're, we're so you're, you're looking at, I don't think you'd look at the people protesting the government, the businesses protesting the government over there that's had enough of this COVID lockdown. I think we all see them as an oppressed people. I don't think we see them as bad. Mm-hmm. The sad part of this is that 94% of the population is not a member of the party. They got 6%. Mm. You've got more than a, tr- uh, a billion people there that are not part of the party that are oppressed. We'd all love to see them take over the country um, and turn into a democracy like a, like the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the systems that actually work. But you've got this small pocket that is that is ugly. And I think you got to decide, is that so bad that you can't even touch the rest of it? And I think Terry would, would argue probably yes. And other people, you know, are trying to find that nuance. But go ahead, Terry. Yeah, well, you're right. To me, I grew up, again, fighting the Soviet Union, not literally, but figuratively. Uh, I see no difference where we're at. We are in a massive Cold War. And you just, I'll give you one example. Within the next approximate 10 years, they're going to add massive amounts of more nuclear weapons and ICBMs. Just, I, I don't know how much you have to say about that. But the reason I called in this, uh, on this thing about, I want two points. Number one on Cirrus. Do not forget the reason Cirrus is here, because the city of Grand Forks, except for one council member, <laughs> I wonder who that chose was. To get in, chose to get in bed with them and and through economic development and fund them. They wouldn't be here if they wouldn't have got the handout. And, and as far as whether we can do business with people, just I don't if if the state and the city of Grand Forks, state of North Dakota, city of Grand Forks told Fufang at the beginning, if you come here, you're paying everything yourself, not one penny of help. We would not be discussing Fufang right now. Your thoughts? Well, I, I outside of enhancement enhancements for the water, wastewater treatment plant, which are going to go above and beyond what we would needed, um, everything is being recouped. So the the dollar amount, you know, certainly you look at a, a proxy property taxes. Um, right now, that property pays five hundred and fifty dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to start paying a million dollars a year, and and later, um, it'll pay uh, six million dollars a year. Um, so as far as, you know, Terry, I mean, there is certainly you could be, you know, the argument could be made that there's some investments and it's going to take a, a period to recoup that. But, um, you know, I mean, that's that's a valid argument. I, I would give them that. But I, I think uh, uh, the, overall, the economic stimulus from from just property tax alone, not even sales tax, not even, the, the you know, the job growth, 
um, the repayments is, is, is in single digit number of years. And if you stretch it out to 30 years, you know, you've got a couple schools paid for by just mm. what this company is going to pay in property taxes. And uh, I'm sick of seeing my property tax go. That's part of the reason that I, I ran and you're, you're just seeing it, you know, explode now. And when property values go up and granted that's, you know, one argument, one piece of it, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, a big thing that I campaign on business growth so that that can take the burden on, on residents. So we don't have to move to to Manville like Terry did to avoid uh, getting taxed out of your house. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, some of the highest in the country. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Oh, good show this morning. But uh, for my, for me looking on the outside in, we need that fertilizer plant more than the other two. Because without fertilizer, we're not going to have any corn or any soybeans. We ain't going to be able to get to the Mississippi this year because of the low tide on the barges. And uh, I think it's time we get fertilizer in Grand Forks. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for the call. I was in Bismarck. Uh, I drove out there in the morning and, and had a meeting with legislators um, and with Northern Plains Nitrogen um, right on this about the uh, natural gas pipeline. So I think in this legislative session, there's going to be enough funding to get that west east uh, natural gas pipeline done, which sets the stage for Northern Plains Nitrogen to be set here. They need that end um, anchor tenant to take a large chunk of that natural gas, uh, which that nat- nitrogen plant would take. 20, 20 to 25% of the entire pipeline's usage. Um, so I do think that's really going to be coming alive and, and it's needed more now than ever. Uh, another big uh, bonus is if that corn plant does come, um, they can get ammonia um, and then be a major customer of the Plains, Northern Plains Nitrogen. They've, they've listed that as a, as a huge positive. If that comes, they can pipe ammonia directly um, to the plant and be able to uh, cut down on the, uh, the expense and the danger of, of transporting ammonia. So those two things have come together that have made the the, nitri- the northern or the uh, fertilizer plant um, um, much closer to being being uh, come to fruition, which is pretty exciting. Because you are right, that is the key. If you look at the maps and the amount of fertilizer um, that is used in this area and how far away our uh, production is to get it, um, it, it's amazing that we don't have a plant um, in the area to begin with. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. the number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at canorxradio.com. Text messenger asks, what's the latest uh, evolution of the snowmobile route? Well, I, this process needs to, needs to be um, sorted out. I, I, in, in the past, the ordinance sets up, so the chief of police sets the, the route. You know, it hasn't been controversial. Um, it's been set pretty, pretty similar, but the, the city's grown. Things have changed. Um, so we're going to try to change the, the process here so that at least there's uh, – there's more input. I know that the snowmobile club did a lot of work over four months. They were, I think they were uh, led to believe that there was a, a good possibility of it happening. And I think they felt like they've gotten uh, squashed at the last minute and without having a, a voice. So I want to get the, the groups together and see um, how we can get a path through the city so that you've got people that are able to uh, commute here to be able to be a part of uh, uh, Grand Forks and some of these other cities that enjoy uh, snowmobiles in the winter, whether you're from here or from other communities, you can get to enjoy uh, you know, other parts of the city. Um, so right now the plan, um, they put it forward. It's, it's an information item for the council. It's not something we get to vote on, but I think they, they took, um, just consensus. Um, and I don't think it was sort of, I don't think the process is right. So we need to get a new process for that. And that's going to be, uh, probably going to the beginning of January, trying to, to reset that process and then eventually reset the route. Text messenger asks, Mayor, any update on the Northern Plains nitrogen? Yeah, that's what we just okay, talked about. Okay. I, so I apologize. Was, yep multitasking um another text message asks who owns this new plant so it's a minnesota-based company out of red wing minnesota uh yeah epitome energy so yeah uh, text messenger says absolutely awesome that another ag processing is coming into town can they be planned for location can you can you say the planned location again 
Yeah, just so 70th Avenue North, just uh, so just be adjacent right north of the landfill, just west of the interstate. Um, it's currently land. If you were going to look it up online at the county, it's uh, Northern Plains Railroad owns the land. So I'm sure uh, there were some synergies there because, you know, long-term, long-term contracts with the rail usage. Um, so I'm sure that that is advantageous for both parties. Um, so I would imagine uh, that's where they're going to go forward. Text messenger asks that there was some concern with the corn milling plant taking away business from local elevators. Is this suffer the same sort of consequence? Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. I, I think um, I think that the the argument from the elevators was um, I, I don't know that that, that was the re- there's there, there's the real reason and there's the good reason. I think right. some people use that um, as the as the good reason. I, and because it really seems like there's some synergies to all that. You only have so much corn that and soybeans that can be there. I think you have co-ops and you have elevators that are investing in the soybean thing. I think you could have done uh, similar deals with the corn plant. So I think it's it's all a positive. We still have the same amount of, I mean, this might in, increase the you know the amount of arable ag land because just financially it makes more sense to, to, to work a little harder on that. But um, no, I think everybody wins when these projects come. Dirt work being done off of north of town. Do you know what that's about? Uh I'm not sure which part of the town they're talking. But. All right. I think I hit all of the text messages. There's a business in town that's fully staffed and can't find people. How will the corn plant find people? Think we'll be okay finding uh, enough people to staff it? Well, that's going to be a challenge. It's a challenge everywhere right now. Um, these are private sector. You know, they look at these business. They look at, they're making the investment. I mean, they, they have to trust that they're going to be able to staff the place. Or why are you making, you know, hundreds of million dollars of investment? So Probably know what they're doing. I hope so. All right. Thanks for the time, sir. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 10.06.4 above as we make our way to a daytime high of 11. Meta spokesman Andy Stone said in a tweet that the company would be forced to consider removing news if the law passed rather than submit to government mandated negotiations that unfairly disregard the value that social media brings to news outlets through increased traffic and subscription. The News Media Alliance, a trade show representing newspaper publishers, urging Congress to add the bill to the defense bill, arguing that the local papers cannot afford to endure several more years of big tech's use and abuse and take the time action is dwindling. If Congress does not ask soon, we are allowing social media to become America's de facto local newspaper. So our question to you at 775-5559. Do you think that social media sites should have to pay media outlets when their content is shared on social media sites? I'll tell you why this is problematic. So it starts when you have the freedom of speech and you want to go out and and say something. And so uh, at, at first we started with things like printing presses. And that was a way to mass produce a message and get a message out into the hands of numerous people because you could write a message one time and then you could duplicate it many, many times and then you could send it out. And over time, as education and literacy increased, people got increasingly plugged in to news sources and papers. And eventually papers started springing up in local communities and providing news coverage for what was happening in those communities. And then over time that grew to a larger entity and where 
news media outlets would share with one another. Hey, this happened in my community. This happened in your community. Here's where we can kind of have some crossover eventually culminating into some of the major news networks, national news networks that you see, CNN, Fox News, those kinds of things um, that provide oversight and reporting on national issues. Then enter social media. And what happened with social media is at first, social media is an opportunity to express yourself and your thoughts and your beliefs on things. And as part of doing that, people started sharing what they found on news media sites, local papers, and, and so on and so forth. And what happened was, if you're just the average person, you don't want to go to GrandForksHerald.com and get the little flashy thing that says you got to sign up and pay $6.99 for a paper and, and all that. That's obnoxious. It's much better to go onto Facebook or to go onto Twitter or go wherever it is you go and you click on your you click on your news feed and there Coming right up in your newsfeed, if let's say Doug Barrett writes uh, an article out of the KNOX newsroom, it just shows right up there on your Facebook feed, and you can read it right on Facebook without ever having to leave that social media platform. Now, what the social media sites are saying is, truthfully, most people aren't going to go to KNOXradio.com and read the news off of that site. They're just going to either read it on the social media site, or they're just not going to have access to that news media. They, they just wouldn't do that. And so companies like Leighton Broadcasting and others choose to put their news on places like Facebook, like Twitter, because it has a higher likelihood of reaching a wider audience that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to reach. And that's a valid that's a valid thing to be concerned about is, hey, this is the, the social media platforms provide a value add if you're in the news business and you're trying to get a message out. Social media can can be an effective way to do that. Social media is saying we add that, we put that value add in there, so why would we pay you to open you up to a larger audience? And I think that has some real validity, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. It's 775-5559. Do you think that social media sites should have to pay media outlets when their content is shared on social media? The other side of this, If we don't start funding local media sources, what's eventually going to happen is those local media sources are going to go out of business because as people decide that I don't really want to pay to have the paper delivered to my house anymore. Okay, then we'll deliver it to you online. Well, hold on a second. Is that free? No, it's not free. You have to pay to have because we have to. We have to pay for the building. We have to pay for the reporters. We have to pay somebody to edit it. We have to pay somebody to publish it. We have to pay people. You know, site designers to put it up on the site, to publish the site, to maintain the site, to maintain the servers, all of that stuff. So if somebody's got to pay for that. Who's going to pay for that? And if the answer back is, well, not me, then that entity ceases to exist. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Yeah, is that me, Don? That's you. You know, it, it, maybe I'm too old to know the difference, but talk radio wants to divorce themselves from being social media, and I've never figured that out. Why do you say that? You just, no, you just went on this litany about social media, and to me, talk radio is social media. Okay. Well, sure. Yeah, I can see but, that. Absolutely, I can. No, 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 but that 
talk radio will not take the responsibility of projecting idea. They want to push it off on social media. And I've never figured that out. Okay, but I so I, I follow you up to the point where you say that talk radio is social media to a degree. I can see that. We, we, we put a message out there. We allow people to contribute and, and you get a, a mixed series of voices. It's, it, it is a very, it's a very old form of social media. I can follow you there. Where, is the, where, where do you get the talk radio wants to divorce itself from social media? We're extraordinarily prevalent on social media. No, but, but because I've heard numerous talk radios uh broadcasters or entertainment people or whatever uh-huh. it is and they and they want to push things off that social media is doing this and social media is doing that okay but talk radio does, talk radio does the same thing Okay, well, that's fair. I, I I don't think you've heard me say those things. I think that I, I again I can see your parallel, but I don't think social. I think social media largely are private organizations doing what they want to do. I don't care if I don't agree with what they do. I just don't use that platform. No, because then again, you're divorcing yourself from the fact that you are social media. No, I'm divorcing myself from a particular platform that I don't like for one reason or another. Well, how do you define social media? Well, that's a great question. But I, but if if you take social media to mean a, a a a common meeting ground where different ideas are exchanged, then you could fit both things like Facebook, Twitter, and talk radio into that same definition. Um, so I think talk radio is a valid form of social media. I'm liking Twitter more and more as their content poli- content moderation policies go away. But in general, my answer has been from the beginning and continues to be the answer to too much free speech is more free speech. So any platform, any social media platform that heavily moderates, I don't like. Any social media platform, frankly, where there are a lot of crazies and, and nutty ideas have exchanged, I'm more interested in those things because they're honest and accurately reflect what people think. Just one guy's opinion, but... Yeah, well, you you talk fast, but uh, the fact of the matter is, I think that talk radio has to realize that they are very much social media. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. In fact, we are continually moving. You can download this show at criticalthought.show, and the whole purpose behind publishing that on the Internet is to make talk radio shareable and discoverable. So... I don't disagree with you. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Yeah, it's getting, uh, getting to be a nuisance to all the ads on social media. So if you take the time to set up your ad preference by, like, say, clicking on the three dots, and then mm-hmm. you, you, let, you let social media know what you're interested in, and then any other ads that you don't like, you either hide them or, you know, or delete them. And then you, uh, you know, so you get a good news feed from all your friends where it doesn't have a bunch of ads in it. And then you see something from, like, say, the Grand Forks Herald, and it's a story that you're interested in. So you click on the link, and you get about four sentences in, and all of a sudden a big blocker pops up wanting you to log into your subscription. And it's like, uh, I don't have a subscription. You know, I followed the link from social media, and I was just interested in the story that oh no you gotta have a subscription if you want to read this story so 
you know. So my question, so you're you're hitting on you know? the you're yeah. hitting the nail on the head as far as the issue goes. So how how does that how does that entity who produces that content how do they get paid if we don't want to see ads and we're not willing to pay a subscription to see the content? Well, don't uh, bait me by putting it on social media and then ask me to buy a subscription. Okay. I mean, they called me up once, and I used to have Grand Forks Herald mm-hmm. until they, you know, stopped printing their newspaper in Grand Forks, and then they went through down to a, a three-day-a-week deal. So then, uh, no, I'm not interested in But I get most of my news from you or, you know, from social media, you know. And, I mean, if it's out there, I mean, I could just ask you know, the Google, the goggle, you know, what the news, you know, if I'm, if I'm actually interested in something like, you know, but I'm kind of disappointed that they shot down that proposed trail. I mean, all the work that went into that deal, you know, and then somebody had a problem with it. So they're just not going to have that southbound trail coming into town, which is kind of a bad deal, but you know, um, we have to accommodate for the few basically is how America is getting correct. Mm Mm-hmm. The majority has to suffer for the few that are, you know, inconvenienced. And, you know, so they want to inconvenience the rest of the population. Uh, I don't know why we can't all just get along. I mean, the Greenway, that I guess that is for kids to go sledding and skiing and, and snowmobiling, isn't it? You know? Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we jumped around there a lot, but I, I appreciate the call. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Thank you, Noah. So let me understand this. You're saying that you want the bigger social media outlets to pay the smaller? No, I don't. Uh, no, 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 no. Congress wants to pass a law that says that if you, if, if Facebook, for example, publishes a or puts on their, their social media site an article from the Herald, that they would have to pay the Herald for the use of that content, to which Meta is now saying, we just won't allow any posts from the Herald if this passes because we're not going to do that. There's a way greater value to the Herald for their content to be on our platform, which is where good people are going to go for their news anyway. And if people think that they're going to go to GrandForksHerald.com to go get their news, that's kind of funny to us, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't, of course we're not going to pay them for that. And I, I'm not saying that, federal government to say, well, Congress is saying that. Right, but uh, isn't, isn't what Meta, isn't Meta's argument right? You know, why would they? And, and, and if that's the case, they're entering a contract with these smaller outlets, wouldn't they have the ability to pick and choose what they, what they put up? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, hundred hundred percent. So you so you would say you would say Meta's right. This is this is almost entirely in the benefit of the news agency. So if they want to use a social media platform to get more people to try to get people subscribed, go for it. But they shouldn't have to pay you to do that. I would actually suggest it should be the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Say for instance, if Lighten Lighten KNOX wants to advertise on Facebook, it, they should pay Facebook. Absolutely. And we do. Yeah, I, I thank you. I thank you for the call. That's an excellent point, and, and I would agree with that. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, these local, it, it, it's clearly just a subsidy for the papers who are really pushing it. And uh, don't forget, back in the day, they chose to give away their content for free when the Internet first came out. Mm-hmm. There were a handful of newspapers that, that did not do this, and they – they have not suffered the consequence. They chose to give their stuff away for free, and now they're upset. So this is clearly nothing more than a handout to them. But what, what is even more important to me is, can you explain to me what this is doing in the Defense Department, Bill? 
No, no, sir. I cannot explain to you what a what a what a media proposition and a social media site is doing in a defense bill. I, I don't have an answer to that question. Uh, that is, to me is the bigger point because <laughs> as Congress, as the Democrats are preparing to lose power, they are trying to pass a massive spending bill to go till end till end of next fiscal year. Mm-hmm. That's going to fund literally every pork barrel thing you can think of. So, frankly. I, I hope I have no confidence, but I would hope that enough Republicans would uh, vote on the Defense Department bill and just they can stay in Washington. They can figure out uh, this, this, this and the many other things that are in there do not belong in there. And uh, but I have no confidence. We have enough people of character to, to stop this. I appreciate the call. Excellent points all around. We'll continue the discussion next. Take the break here. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. Good morning, 1026.4 above. We make our way to a daytime high of 11. So we're talking about Congress's idea, well, really newspapers' ideas, to have Congress pass a bill saying social media sites should have to pay when they're posting local news content. Now, Meta spokesperson Andy Stone said in a tweet that if the company were forced to do this, they would just consider removing news if the law was passed rather than submit to a government-dated negotiation that unfairly disregards the value that the social media sites provide to news outlets for increased subscriptions and traffic. Let me put this out there. You know, there's a debate. Who values more or what is more valuable? Is the social media traffic more valuable or is the... Uh, news content more valuable and i would say i would i would tell you the following if the news media is more compelling if it's the more compelling product then people would just go straight to the news source to go get the content because that's really what they're there for and it's not really about social media if on the other hand People are going to social media and they just happen to stumble into a news source because it can be posted on social media sites for free. Then the opposite is true. The real value is in social media sites and newspapers are struggling to and are struggling to stay relevant by getting themselves into social media. There is a constant discussion and watch over what people's habits are where do they go for news how do they engage with news how do they engage with entities what do they want to engage with entities and what you're seeing more and more people prefer to engage on a peer level they do not want somebody that sits on high that says i know more than you and i've done all of these things and here now you can in a one-way fashion consume what i'm giving you they want to participate they want to participate in the comment sections. They want to participate by sharing. They want to participate by adding their own views. They want to hear from other people that have competing views. And they want to read through those comments and they want to understand where the discussion is really being had. They want to pick apart what they think should have been added to the story or what might have been there or parts that were missing or something that they found from another news source. A lot of these things are very, very difficult to do on a traditional news site. Because, again, the news site is going to be the one that controls that content. 
At the same time, there is absolutely a problem in America with a lack of integrity in reporters. You listen. We're going to come up with the newscast in, 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 in just a minute. And when you do, I want you to listen very critically to the newscast. And I want you to listen for some sort of a taking one side or the other. I submit to you, without having heard the newscast that's going to come up here in a few seconds, that there won't be one. That you'll just hear facts. You'll hear time and dates and what happened, and that's it. It won't go any further than that. And if we were to return to that, people would begin to trust their news outlets more. But what you're seeing right now, and this is absolutely true on social media, people don't trust the news source. People... The Part of the reason people are moving towards social media is because they have all sorts of different source material that they can use that they find to be trustworthy. And part of that is a lot of people want to live in an echo chamber. A lot of people, if it isn't, if it doesn't conform to their existing belief system or their existing frame of reference or their existing worldview, they're not interested in hearing it. And that's problematic because what is it going to mean when those reputable news sources ones with long-standing reputations that have been around for a long time and have a reputation, what happens when they go away? What does that mean, especially for holding public officials accountable and such? All right, we'll take the news here. We'll continue after the break. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX, 1079-1033 FM. Welcome back, 1038 and 4 above. So a woman who bought a tiny house is taking legal action against her city, which threatened to fine her $1,000 a day if she continued to live in it because the action left her unhoused. Chastity Decker of Meridian, Idaho, couldn't afford to buy a house. So she opted for a 252-square-foot tiny home and arranged to put it on Robert Calkins property for $600 a month, according to the lawsuit. A neighbor then called the Meridian Police Department when the tiny home arrived on the property and asked if living in it would be legal. In May, a day after Decker moved in, a Meridian City Code Enforcement officer threatened both Decker and Kalskill with criminal prosecutions and fines up to $1,000 a day unless she moved out. So our question, 775-5559, Should you be able to live in a tiny home inside of city limits? I want you to consider how much space you really need to live, to exist. If you're really pushed to move to your most minimally viable space, what would that look like for you? I'll tell you, for me, it would look very much like a hotel room. I, as part of of my other job, spend a lot of time on the road or in, um, in, in air travel. And so as a part of that, I've learned to very comfortably live with my backpack and a 22 inch suitcase, because that's pretty much what I can be guaranteed I'm going to have everywhere. Yes, I know you can ship things, you can check bags, all of the things, but I've at one point or another, you, you name the thing that you think you could do. And I'll tell you when I tried it and, and what the result was and the catastrophic end result. And, and so why I do it differently, but I've learned how to comfortably live in a 22 inch suitcase and a backpack. 
and a hotel room. Now, the hotel room is the one thing I really can't bring with me, right? There is a there is a function of shelter, which I suppose you could get in the form of a tent or something like that. But really, anything past that, you need somewhere to sleep. You need something to sleep on. You need a place to shower and you need a place to get food and or cook. When you think about what all of those things translates to, a tiny house makes a whole ton of sense for a lot of people. And yet cities are largely unaccommodating of this. This was, I guess it was probably four or five years ago, I came across a story in where San Francisco, there was a guy who designed a bunch of tiny houses for homeless people. So he saved up like $10,000, $15,000, and he went to a hardware store, and he bought a bunch of material, and then he hired a contractor to build little shacks on wheels. And they weren't terribly, uh, they weren't terribly luxurious, but it was four walls and a roof and it had a bed and it had a light and it had heat and it had a more, most importantly, a lock on the door. And when he was interviewed about what prompted him to do this, he said, I'm sick and tired of seeing homeless people all over my city. The problem is it's a vicious cycle. Like they can never get ahead because the moment they try to apply for a job while they need an address or the moment they try to fill out paperwork or do something, they can never get ahead because their property gets stolen. They get physically injured or abused by other people and because they have nowhere to go. And so their choice is to go into a homeless center, which are overcrowded and difficult to get into. So he decided to bring the tiny houses to people. And so he took this otherwise godforsaken area of San Francisco that has feces and all sorts of stuff in the street and people scattered about like a bunch of bums and place these relatively nice looking mobile houses, a tiny little, you know, 10 by 10, not even maybe that big, maybe five by five uh, little boxes. Um, but they had heat and they had a door. And so they, they started interviewing some of the homeless people that were living in these little boxes and said, you know, what do you think? What do you think about this? And all of them, all of them said, well, this is fantastic. One guy said, it's the first time in 30 years I felt like I'm at home, like I finally have a home, like right there. That's my front door. It's not much, but it's mine, and I have the key to it, and only I can get into my front door, and I can go live here in my tiny little 5 by 5 foot thing, and I have a place to sleep, and I've got a place to store my food, and it's amazing. I can leave my stuff here. I can go to work or go apply for a job or go do these things, and I come back, and all my stuff's still here because I'm the only one in the key. That's my house. Isn't that great? And this guy, was he was just just overjoyed with this simple tiny little box because it was more than he had in the entire world. And do you know what the response of, 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 of California was? They tore all those boxes down. They came with a truck, hitched up to all the, took all the people out of them and then took them away and destroyed them and said, if there's a homeless problem, if they want to fix it, the city will deal with that by adding more homeless shelters. So we have Uh, We have a cemented track history in our cities of pushing against things like tiny homes. And frankly, I don't get it. If you're looking for what you need to exist on this planet or in in a given place, a tiny home meets a ton of those needs. In fact, a tiny home meets a ton of those needs better than the vast majority of the population that lives around the rest of the world. You go into anywhere in Africa or China or India and look at the dirt floor homes that those people live in. A tiny home is a drastic improvement. And yet, for some reason, we're completely intolerant of people living like that. And I don't get it. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. You know, 
if it was just my husband and I, and we had no kids, I I would live in a tiny home. Right. I would have no problem with it. I, you know, you could move it when you wanted to move it. Um, and you, you know, the, the affordability of it is there. Um, it's, it just seems like, like so ideal to me. I don't need much, but what I get a chuckle of, or a chuckle out of, and you see it so much these days, and it's going to sound maybe petty and I don't mean it to sound petty, Okay. but I really got to ask the question out there. And I mean, I understand there's probably a need for it, but you see a lot of houses being built these days, five, six, 7,000 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. Seven bedrooms, five bathrooms. Okay. Now, if you are a family of maybe four, what do you need a house that big for? I'll tell tell you, I've been, I've been in houses like that. So I, so here's the thing. You literally start having rooms that no longer have meeting. What's this? Oh, that's the dining room. Well, then what's that? Let's start other dining room well how about that well that's our living room well what's that over there it's a sitting room that's kind of like a living room except not i mean you know to me it becomes nothing more than let me show off how much money i have that's that's really what it becomes i mean i don't i don't really see the purpose to have a place that large i i I mean you know and like i said it may sound petty it's not meant to sound that way at all but there's no purpose unless you have a family the size of 10 people to have a place that large. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, if you can't live comfortably in a place that, you know, then maybe you need to reevaluate how you live. Yeah. And, but, and here, here's the deal. If you, if you can afford to live in a place like that and you want to live in a place like that, God bless you. I mean, more power to you. If you want to live in 8,000 square feet or 12,000 square feet or 100,000 square feet, I don't care as long as you pay for it. The problem here is we're telling other people who can't afford to live like that, who don't want to live like that, and who do have a preference to live in 450 square feet or less, that they're not allowed to do that. And if you think you're going to go and negotiate a thing with somebody who owns some land and live economically and within your means without taking out a bunch of debt and get your life together, if you think you're going to do that, we'll tell you otherwise because it doesn't fit in with the way that we as a society think you should live. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, I'm asking for a friend. If you get a little uh, motor home, like a 12 by 14, just a little one. Yeah. Do you have to pay real estate tax on that thing or just license tabs? Do you have to have what? License tabs on it? I know that, but do you have to pay, like, um, taxes, meaning if you live in it? No. No, not that I, I know. Pay- if you'd pay, pay property taxes, if you parked it on a piece of land, you know, you pay property taxes on the land. But, no, you don't. I mean, once you own it, you own it. I think when I retire, I'm going to sell my house to the kids, and then I'm going to go live in a little camper trailer and move around, and then the kids don't come home for Christmas and want anything. I have, a, I have a friend that does. I mean, he doesn't do it for that reason, and I thank you for the call, but I have a friend that lives in a Class A RV. He, he lives in a Class A RV, and he, he I mean, it's a nice RV, actually. It's a, it's, in some ways, it's more luxury than my house is. And he's got a little, uh, you know, he's got a little TV in there and a bedroom and a kitchen and a shower and, and the whole nine yards. And he, he lives on there, and he travels around the country and, and does various things and broadcasts for a living, but lives out of his Class A RV. Works great for him. And and, I, and I've been there. I've stayed at his place. I've stayed in his class RV and slept there as a guest. Fantastic little house. 
But again, we're telling people that they can't do this in large part because we wouldn't want to live like that. So we don't think anybody else should live like that. And it makes us uncomfortable. And I think that's really disappointing because in a lot of ways, this is a better solution for a lot of people. 775-5559, a text messenger has this to say, you can't get much taxes from a tiny house. Hence, the reason why California and that homeless shelter funded by the government, it makes state money. It absolutely does. And that, there's, a, there's a reasonable documentary. I'll see if I can find it. Um, but it goes into that and, 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 and how much money they generate. And the mayor was actually fairly open about, well, this is, you know, this is why. And they, they have their reasons, right, in the way of safety. And there's no oversight. There's no regulation. There's no, okay, I get it. I'm just saying if your choice is have that person sleep in a tent in the middle of the street or have that person sleep inside of a tiny little house that has a lock and heat and a bed, I, I think we're better off to say live in the little house, aren't we? I mean, it's better than sleeping on the ground. A text messenger says at 775-5559, it comes to what contractors and land developers want. Absolutely. And you know what? If you, as a land developer, want to purchase some land and turn it into a bunch of really nice houses, more power to you. I just don't think you should be able to tell the guy down the street, hey, I want to, I'm a land developer and I want to buy a big chunk of dirt and I'm just going to let people park their tiny homes on here and live on them and I'll charge them 500 bucks a month. Somebody wanted to do that, they should be allowed to as well. We'll wrap up the discussion next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. KNOX 1079-1033 FM. Good morning, 1055, four above. Listen to this. When your life is the size of a tent, hope can be a powerful tool. It's almost delivery day, and with the news that Raven's pregnant, Elvis is adding a special finishing touch to her tiny house. It's like the Milky Way. Just a little something to help her feel better and you know help her feel like she's got a, a night sky to look at. Elvis knows how important little details like this can be. He's watched too many people lose hope on the streets. Since the, the city forced me to take houses away from people, three people have died, mainly due to being stuck out in the elements and not having anywhere to go. So it's, uh, it's criminal. It's a picture of Smokey sitting in the doorway of her, her tiny house. One of the people who died was his close friend, Smokey, who received the very first tiny house. New Year's morning, I found her dead in in somebody else's tent. Not even her own, because the city took that, too. So, it's pretty simple. Without shelter, people die. So... (laughs) It's been a few months, but she was a good person, and she was my friend. Uh, I miss her a lot. Inside City Hall, the pressure is on to create more housing. The city has approved a multi-billion dollar strategy to help the homeless. 
but it'll take 10 years to build 10,000 new units, which is well below demand. Yet officials refuse to embrace Elvis's tiny homes. For me, a tiny house on a city parking space is not a solution. We are doing a disservice to those individuals who'd be staying in these tiny homes without the adequate um, infrastructure in place. City councillor Joe Buschino opposed tiny houses in his district because of concerns from angry residents. And that's really where this boils down to, right? We're willing to let people die in the streets because it doesn't fit to our normal social way that we want to live and we want to do things. And, you know, again, the second a city government or a state government or any sort of government has a better way to help people who are homeless or people that have less means get into a place of their own. So it's a stepping stone so they can get somewhere next. I'm all ears until such time. I think it's absolutely deplorable that we're taking people that they're these are not people that are showing up for a handout. These are not people that show up and say, oh, poor me. Somebody do something for me. These are people like this lady in uh, in um, in Meridian who comes out and says, I saved up my own money and I bought something I could afford. She worked out an arrangement with somebody who owned land and said, I want to put my tiny house on this land and I want to live in it and I want to pay you this much a month. Everybody was fine with that until the police showed up, until the city showed up and said, hey, this doesn't uh, this doesn't meet city code. You can't live in a 450 foot square foot house. Well, why not? Where's the harm? And if your answer is, well, it's unsafe living conditions, this isn't the right place for homeless people. Ask them. Why don't you ask them if they think living in a tiny home is the right solution for them or if they would prefer to just die in the street in somebody else's tent because they don't have anywhere else to go? Ask them what the better option is and then come back to me and tell me about how this isn't the right option for homeless people or people with less means. And oh, by the way, the idea that it has to be driven by by money, I think, is a bit silly. I have a house. I live in a house, but I wouldn't be opposed. Like the first caller said, if I had the opportunity to go live near my kids... Again, I'm comfortable in a 22-inch suitcase and my backpack. I'll be just fine in 450 square feet. I have a place to sleep. I have a place to shower. I have a place to cook. That's what I need. That's what most of I, most of us need. Let's start there and get better. This is Critical Thought. Thanks for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on Newstalk 1310 KNOX. Streamed online at knoxradio.com.